Hello, this is Chuck from Above the Basement, Boston Music and Conversation. Mission of Burma has been called, and I quote, one of the most important American rock bands of the last 20 years. That quote may be a bit dated, as now it may be 40 years, but either way, Clint Conley may find that to be hyperbole. But the fact remains that bands like the Pixies, Pearl Jam, Moby, R.E.M., Nirvana, and Throwing Muses, to name just a few, list Burma as an influence, so it's hard to argue with that moniker. In 1979, bass player Clint Conley, along with guitarist Roger Miller, drummer Peter Prescott, and the visually unobtrusive Martin Swope, got together to create the seminal Boston band that was part of a post-punk rock scene that inspired so many. Famous for their live performance and ear-piercing volume, the amazing part of this story is that they released an EP called Signals, Calls, and Marches in 1981, which had the fantastic track Academy Fight Song that was covered by R.E.M., and then one full LP in 1982 called Versus, then took a 22-year hiatus before releasing their later works. Clint did not rest on his laurels, although he may argue that he had no laurels to rest on. He went on to get a master's degree in broadcast journalism and ended up at Boston's news magazine program called Chronicle as a producer. He later formed his own band called Consonant and produced Yola Tango's debut album, but lately has been focused on family, letting go of his vinyl collection, and enjoying life in the burbs. Clint is a fantastic guy. Funny, thoughtful, and certainly seems very content. We had a great conversation. So, here is that conversation with Clint Conley, recorded at Woods Hill Table in Concord, Massachusetts. Uh, here we are in Concord, West Concord. Very, very hip. Very, We're, very hip. I mean, very look hip. around us. Well, you know, it's a lot of... Who else is, I was, I mean, we've talked about this a couple of times. Um, you know, Stoner Fitch? I do know Stoner. So, Stoner Fitch from Scruffing the, the Cat. He's in the hood. Oh, we got, well, Gordon Needs lives right, lives right around around the corner. Gordon Needs! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he does. So, you know, it's, and then, you know, Ron lives right next door. Get out. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It Gordon is. Needs and, you know, and, and me. Um, I live in Acton. Which really isn't a town. Know, it's, no, that's all right. It's all right. It's okay. Yeah. No shame. No shame at all. So, Clint, thank you for coming. We appreciate this. We just had your your good friend Mark Cates on. Oh, you did? A couple weeks ago. Awesome. Great. And he's a great... Or as he's known in Burma, in the Burma sphere, he's Corp. Corp? Oh, yeah. Corp. Why Corp? Because he's like the man? Corp. Because he came from the corporate side. Oh, I see. You know, so anytime we needed sober thinking... (laughs) How did you... Any sort of... Anybody who was remotely in touch with the planet Earth, we would turn to Corp. (laughs) Just for guidance, and it's, it's he never. Funny. Said, I thought you were gonna say, say corporal, like you know. Cause no, kinda, not corporal. No, the, but uh, he never said that. He never said he was called corp. But you know, I guess that's not something you would yeah. want to you know announce to the world that you were corp. We're just such knee jerk uh, children in all? our band, aren't we all? So um, he was the adult. He was the adult. Yeah. But he right. came. He came back. He is the adult. I think we're. There've been articles about us having broken up or stopped, but I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> oh well, good. I mean, that's I don't what? know. Well, I never signed anything formal. Actually, there was. It's a, I, where did I see this? It might have been at the end of your wiki. As of June 2020, the band was officially finished. That's what it said. I think that's a little strong. That sounds really strong. That's a pretty strong it's a statement. Strong. Hey, that's. What, I mean, that's is about it Wikipedia. likely finished? Yes. What's that? Is it, have we likely played our last notes? Yes, but uh, there's know, there was never anything right? official. 
Well, Mark Cates, you know, he moved back here for a reason, right, to the the East Coast. And he said that, you know, Mission of Burma was kind of where you left it, is what the quote was, or something like that, Hmm. where the world has changed, but there was something magical about that 20 years later, because he was just like, this is where, this is where we left off. But it doesn't mean it it could be two years or 20 years. Yeah. (laughs) Did that feel like it for you? Um, yeah, I mean, that in the, in certain good ways, yes. Uh, I mean, there's ways you could say that you could, uh, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, yes, I mean, when we started playing again, yes, it felt like we had taken a two-week hiatus, you know? Yeah. It just felt the same. So, uh, for better or for worse, I guess, right, you know? Well, did you think you'd be talking about it now? Hell still? no! Yeah. Hell no. Especially because you guys, you came out with one album. And to then- begin with? To begin the with. The first iteration, yeah. And then it was, what, another, how long until it was 2003 before the next album? I I honestly don't know when the next album was. I know we, we got 2004, back to, on, off, 2002, on. we played again. So, uh, no, I mean, really, uh, I mean, the big picture is, of course, we never imagined talking about this low these 40 years later. <laughs> uh, that would have been um, preposterous. It would have been just bizarrely ludicrous because, you know, it was just a hand to mouth struggle, uh, a lot of fun. Uh, we were just, you know, very young and just flailing away at a world that didn't understand us. And uh, but having, uh, you know, just totally exhilarating, thrilling time. Uh, but there was no sense of uh, <laughs> thinking about 10 years 20 years 30 40 years later i mean that that's pretty well you know 1979 seems to be a very seminal time for boston yeah bands Uh, and not just boston everywhere oh yeah it was really it was a full flowering revolution going on there and in ways um that uh second wave that followed so quickly upon the initial punk burst the initial punk burst was this spasmodic violent kind of semi-ugly occurrence that was uh everything that the beginning of a you know universe would be it's just total chaos and extremely jarring Mm -hmm. uh and then two three years after that so-called post-punk is i think where where real ideas started to take hold in this new soil you know it's like uh the world had been blown up and now what was going to what was going to happen in this new world? Well, you know, there were just strange sounds coming from every corner of the earth. I mean, birthday party in Australia and the feelies in New Jersey and gun club in Southern California. Radically different sounding bands, but all happening at the same time in this like new world of complete possibility and one that had very low barriers of entry so you didn't have to be, you know, like a super wizard on guitar or a Greek demigod like Robert Plant. It was just you, me, and the guys around the neighborhood and making whatever. And uh, there was just, it seemed like an extremely fertile time for ideas rather than technique. And out of that came just these completely radical new concepts of what music could be. So a lot of people found their voices. So 79 to me is... 7980 was just uh more than anything I'm just thrilled I'm just so grateful that I was around at that time and kind of in it 
And then I d- decided to put my toe in the water. And, you know, it's just the, the times. It was, it was roaring through us. And it was like our bloodstreams were, mm. were carbonated with just excitement, crazy excitement, you know. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. I mean, in Boston, it wasn't just Boston. But there were great Boston bands, and we were all very supportive of each other. You know, we especially you know our our scene was sort of the arts, kind of the artsier side of the punk scene. There was kind of a meat and potatoes rock punk side of the punk scene, which was had uh, some fantastic bands too. You know, DMZ, Real Kids. I mean, yeah. those are brilliant bands. So there were vestiges of that still going. But you know, we were part of that artsy scene. Can you uh, can you explain that a little bit? The artsy scene, yeah, like well, the artsy side of punk. Artsy side. If you sort of have that algorithm there, like I'm trying to see the where it Venn diagrams into each yeah. other. Yeah, well, I mean, Boston first made its uh, uh, reputation nationally as a real roots rock kind of hyper revved Chuck Berry based rock and roll kind of thing. You know, down at the Rat with you know real kids and. I don't know who else, you know, Ready, Teddy, Thunder Train. It was all kind of real rock and roll kind right, of stuff. Right. But uh, then, uh, then uh, a scene started developing sort of out of mass art. You know, it was people who were painters, people who were at, in art school picking up instruments. Yeah. It's like I said, you know, the barrier of entry was so low. That's a good thing, kids. Uh, but like you said, it was creative people, rather than Yeah, people than that with massive chops. creative ideas were picking up guitars and treating them in ways nobody had ever treated them before. So uh, there was a big scene down in the lofts and mass art bands, like um, bands that I associate with mass arts. I don't know if any of them went to mass arts, but they certainly, that's where a lot of the gigs were, you know, like the girls and uh, human sexual response, La Peste. It was a very, very fertile scene. But um, it wasn't just that. There were also around that time, the bands coming through town and playing at clubs where you could actually go up and talk to the people, you know, bands from England and other parts of the country. Uh, it was just a very, uh, very exciting time. It was a very mm-hmm. small world, you know. It was a small world at that time. It's such a, uh interesting time for me to think back on because... Because I wasn't there, and, I, and I'm so bummed I didn't get to go be a part of that. I was too young I, to begin with. But we're good friends. Well, not good friends, I guess. But we're, we're, we're friends with uh, Dave Minahan from the Neighborhoods. We've mm-hmm. gone and recorded at his place. And the funny thing is, and I was talking to, telling Mark about this, uh, Mark Cates about this, both David and Mark seem to appear in all these documentaries that we've been watching lately. D- David especially. Uh, he dis- David is a prince. He's he disappears in all every documentary I see. He's like appears and, and he's talking. About there is no finer. He's he's amazing. We love we love David. Even these old war documentaries. It's really weird. He's like ri- like Rich <laughs> yeah, Hall right. from like Saturday he's, Night he's Live. Like, he's yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> there. He is. There's David Minahan. But you know it's it's such a um, a golden age of Boston rock, and I'm bummed that I missed it. Yeah, I mean in our universe there was nobody nobody bigger than the neighborhoods. I mean the hoods were just captivated this town in a way that you know nobody else quite matched well speaking of minahan in the neighborhoods he he mentioned that he would go to your shows and he'd be in for just like a like a he didn't say this but it was sort of like a blank canvas of like okay we're going for a ride here Mm -hmm. you know we're we don't really know where it's going to go but you know i kind of grew up in more of the um sort of the improvisational grateful dead type of 
mm-hmm. type of world. And I can see a corollary there with... A little bit. It's a totally different type of music. But the idea is there that, is that you're interacting with a crowd and they're on the ride with you. Mm-hmm. I could see that, you know, in your documentary, just people just looking at the set list too. You guys are just are what's next, what's next, where are we going? I don't know how much thought was going into that, but it, no. it reminded me of that kind of vibe. Uh, well, I mean, that's definitely where at least Roger and I came out of the psychedelic uh, years. I mean, uh, so yeah, there's definitely there's definitely that element. Did you realize when you guys were forming that the scene was burgeoning in that way? Yeah, was it just kind of luck? Well, I mean, it was uh, the luck of timing uh certainly but um no there was definitely a scene and we wanted to be part of it yeah we were just so excited to uh be involved uh that's enough that's yeah, good yeah i think that's, <laughs> enough, enough, that's i would be excited to be involved too i mean the basic thing is i'm i and i still maintain this mentality of being a fan first and a musician second so the, the idea of actually doing it still kind of astounds me you know i'm i'm not a naturally natural performer type of person and uh yeah i just could never believe that i was actually getting to do this but did that work for you in some ironic way i that's not not for me to say but um you know it may it may have contributed to the type of music we made um because you didn't really write it first right i wrote a little bit well i'd never written any music uh before mission of burma yeah so um uh, in contrast with Roger Miller, uh, who I started the band with, he had many, many years of writing. He was a very serious writer, and uh, I just loved his songs. I loved his music. I loved the way his mind worked, and so um, I definitely wanted to. I wanted to do something with him. So he and I were in another band, Moving Parts, and yeah. we, we decided to break off and make our own thing. Um, but yeah, and then I then I decided, well, I'll try writing a song, and, and so it worked out. Yeah, yeah, that song we ended up doing. Right up until the end. So to kind of further my question about bad timing, I was actually quoting someone as a book called "Our Band Could Be Your Life." Yeah, that one where he said that the only sin was bad timing, and in that, not about the scene you were in, but mm-hmm. really about the recording industry at the time. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, if uh, if I re- uh, regretted anything, uh, it was that um, our type of music. I mean, a few years later, five, six years later bands that were like us were traveling to europe which we never got to do so um there was really no interest over there in the kind of music we were doing or the music of our scene was uh that was yet to come so that was a slight regret when we broke up that you know we kind of missed that but then we we got our revenge you know we got to come (laughs) back later on and, and do do things that we had never done before so that was fun. Well, you know, you say regret, but you don't seem the person like the type of person who regrets anything. No, no. You I mean, I'm really regretless. I, yeah, no. I, uh, please, no. I have nothing to complain about. But yeah, no. I certainly have no regrets at this point. Let's go to present day for a little while. How, how have you been in this in this time of horrible COVID? And, horrible time of COVID. Yeah. I'm, I feel a little um, guilty saying that. I've had a very good year. I've enjoyed. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be working full time. So that's a, a, a real privilege. And uh, I work from home. Uh, so I like that better than working in the office. Yeah. So I've um, been very lucky in that sense. And uh, yeah, just spending a lot of time in the woods <laughs> with my dog and my wife. And a nice town for it. Yeah. I mean, back in the woods. It's just it's 
fantastic. It's glorious. You could, your kids are in the school system here? Uh, the kids are out and through the school system. So okay. I have um, a daughter that lives up in Vermont. She's out of college. And a daughter who lives here in Concord who has a six-year-old daughter. So okay. we do uh, a fair amount of uh, grandpa Grandma action. and grandpa? Yeah, yeah. It's really fun. I love it. It's been a gorgeous fall. It's been a gorgeous it, fall. I mean, the woods, are, it's like stepping into a dream. Yeah, so no kidding. I, um, that's really the reason we moved out here. I mean, that was the appeal. It's all the conservation land. It was something about yesterday. I was talking to my wife walking down the street, and I, I was like, do I just appreciate this a little more now this year? What's yeah. happening? Yeah. Maybe. Because it was something. I mean, every year I'm like blown away by the leaves. You know, I grew up around this area, but. I still can't ama- believe it, but there's something about yesterday because it was the first type of. Yesterday was a pretty gray day too, dude. And it was a little it gray. Was. It was. No, yeah. it's it's been exceptional. I mean, this string of good weather, I think it uh, is an indication of a sick earth, sadly, but this drought. But um, right, it's been fantastic for being out in the woods. Okay, so I just wrote an op-ed that hadn't published yet, and uh, it's about records and record collecting and, and how artists use uh, LPs to su- supplement their income because they're kind of a high-priced piece of merch. And I ran across an article that you wrote for The Globe yeah, where you gave away your entire collection. Yeah. And I was so, I don't know, I was so sad. <laughs> but it seemed to be like a, a release for you. You seemed to, you wanted to get rid of them. Uh, that's a very complicated thing that, uh, <laughs> that was a, a decision I... It was recent. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, we. Uh, I think it was um, Easter of last year, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I think. And um, sitting around the table, I, we had uh, invited Roger Miller and Peter Prescott to join us for Easter lunch or whatever. It was pretty spontaneous. I didn't know I was going to ask Peter uh, that day to take my records. How many uh, records did you, how many were we talking about? I mean, I was not a collector collector like uh, you know, I have friends who are obsessed who are real record collectors. Yeah. I don't even know. I don't know. But don't, I'm betting you had pretty I had a lot of records. I had a bunch out in my garage and I had some in a, a, a closet full. A lot of Boston stuff, a lot of like Yeah, Boston, yeah, imports. Yeah, it's a very complicated thing. I those records meant the world to me. Yeah. I just it was the air I breathed, you know, for so many years. I mean, it was just everything. I just, I used to get physical cravings for uh, records and new music. And, um, you know, uh, the fact is I hadn't had a turntable, an operating turntable for a number of years. (laughs) And so they were just there and they were sort of beat up. And um, I know my father was a huge music fan. He had these... uh, a big collection of jazz and um it was very sad when he died and i inherited these things because i, I don't even know i didn't know what to do with them uh, so, they're, so they're all gone yeah, well, a lot of them were from your dad too uh some of them uh but uh, i eventually got rid of those and um i just thought somebody should be enjoying these what kind of stood out to me in that article was that you said something to the effect of they gave you more than really any money could give you. Oh, so my God. It was, it was this no. intangible It was. I mean, it's force, like, you know? yeah, it's like the goofy saying about setting it free, you know, if you love something, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, yeah I just that, felt they're just sitting there. Let's get rid of I don't want to leave it on my daughters to feel sad about their poor old dad. Let's get rid of these things, and uh, somebody else will enjoy them, and uh, that's much, much better than 
holding on to these things. I don't know. It was. I still feel. I still feel ambivalent about it, to be honest, and uh, and I still feel. I still feel sad about it. It was sad. Him- it was the right decision, but it, it, that doesn't make it not sad. Yeah. It was. It was a. It was a difficult thing to do. Well, sometimes bright decisions are sad. Yeah, I I know it was. Uh, I think that it was you- so much a part. Of, you know what it was? It was just so much how I self-identify to mm. give up this big collection that really, in some ways, said more about says more about me than almost anything I can think of. Just to let it go. So it's you didn't really give it to just sort of a random person, though. Yeah, no, I didn't he, give it to a random someone person. That you, yeah, I gave grew it to Peter. Yeah, 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 Peter, my brother, my soulmate, and I have no, I, I, I haven't even asked him what he did with them. I, I think they were really beat up. I think most of them weren't worth anything. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, they were really. <laughs> these were records that were listened to. Yeah, <laughs> late at night, in various mental states for <laughs> years, you know, and so. Uh, eh. So they were beat ju- up records. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure many of them were worth much. So now you're all you're all MP3s for now. Is that Ugh, it? God, that depresses me. I yeah no, I, it does depress me the way I listen to music. I listen yeah I listen oh god I listen on yeah little crappy speakers. <laughs> yeah, it's that's funny. The, even in I mean, MP3 it's like my, sounds old now. Yeah, no, I, know, <laughs> I know I know they call it streaming now. That's I what they call it. I chastise my daughters for listening to music through their phones. I and know little attenuated uh, tinny things. But really, am I much better? Not much better. I listen in my car mostly, you know. And that, that's the problem. And, 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 and a lot of people, like some people in my class, when they read my article, they said, um, is it really better sounding? And I'm like, whether or not you believe that the, the sound coming out of a record is sounds better than an MP3, the, it's what people are listening it through. Their crappy car stereos, their crappy yeah, with phones. with road noise and ter- yeah. rumble and... But if I put mine on to, I mean, these poor guys here, I tell, talk about this all the time, but when I put it on to my stereo and I have my two nice speakers, I hear things I've never heard before because I haven't listened <laughs> no, to. No, you're going to make me yeah. cry because oh, I I'm haven't, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, I haven't heard. Yeah. You know, I, I find it fascinating. <laughs> I find it fascinating that this is such a, an important, this is such an important decision for you. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's just records, but it's not just records. Oh, it's, please. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's my, it's everything that, Everything that was important to me. Oh, gosh. I mean, you rewrite that up, Ed. No. So, you know. All right. Well, sorry to bring up such a painful memory for you. Yeah. <laughs> True. True. Well, the, did, did, did your fellow students, did they ask you any questions about the old days, too? Because you're like the, the, old the days? resident uh, old guy. There, I am the old guy at, in my class. But like, What um, was it like, with, like when you had to put money in a telephone? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, they didn't. They didn't say that. They, Tell us, Uncle Chuck. I think, actually, I think the question was just kind of... So where are you at school? I'm at Northeastern, getting my master's. In? History. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So on, the, on that line, when you finished with Mission, or when you actually moved on from the first album, and you went and got your master's in broadcasting? Yeah, it, it, was? Was, uh, it was after a, a number of years. I um, Yeah, Burma, how do you say it, 1.0? Or, yes. Uh, ended in 83, and so... I sort of assumed I'd be doing something in music and uh, ended up, uh, you know, getting a job painting houses just to kind of kill time and make money. What was your undergrad? You went to University of Rochester, right? Yeah, English. English. I don't know. I, it just slowly became clear to me that I, I just really didn't want to get back into music and make a career out of it. So, uh, yeah, I ended up going to uh, grad school at BU. At BU. Yeah, so that was after, I don't know. 
probably around five years or something. And now after. you're a producer at one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Well, thank you. Thank you. No, um, I know I've been very fortunate in that regard. I, uh, yeah, I got my master's in broadcast journalism and uh, started working around town. I started working at Channel 7 hmm. uh, and then uh, landed a, a job at uh, Chronicle. So Love Chronicle. Yeah, so I've been there ever since. It uh, continues, I, you know. It's just a really fun place to work and challenging and good people. And uh, I think it just really suits my talents and the way I like to work. And I, you know, so I've been much, watching it for, I don't know how long it's been around. It's been around, yeah, for, it's been around for a since long, long time. So uh, it's, uh, it's a long time. Yeah. 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 I've been there forever. I'm one of the, I'm the, yeah, I'm the old. One of and, the old geezers. And we saw in the in the documentary that everyone at Chronicles always surprised when they find out about your rock and roll past. <laughs> I yeah, I guess. I don't know. Uh, maybe <laughs> at one time. I love seeing Joyce Kilhawick in it, who we interviewed here. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, oh, you did Joyce here? Yeah, we talked to yeah, Joyce. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, she's acting, You saw right? a couple yeah. phases of Joyce in your... In, they need to do a documentary on Joyce next. Yeah. Uh, well, I great. mean, we were so uh, dumbfounded when we broke up and we scheduled our final concert and uh mark cates put us in a big hall and we were said you're nuts man uh we've never played a place a tenth that big he said no no trust me and uh he was right and uh then he got all the media involved and he sold him the story about you know rogers hearing and so the mm. news stations covered it but we were we were like flabbergasted we were like this is so weird well, getting back to that, so you know, it ended 1.0 ended in '83. Yeah. That sounds very 1.0. Sounds very old too. Yeah, yeah, that, they I know. They don't use that terminology anymore. 1.0, 2.0. It's very. I I, I injected that into. That's the, okay. Uh, I got. I, I understood here. the reference. I understood. Yeah, it. yeah, we're we're hip that way. Mm -hmm. we're hip. Um, we're hip. So so, so back in '83, you know, after the album, after some success, I think it's very interesting to look back because forward 20 years when you guys started taking that on the road to playing in LA and playing at the Fillmore and, and other places on the East Coast to not have that interim 2.0 and 3.0 it was as if it existed though that to me is what's interesting is those fans kept on propagating yeah or did they not well yeah no we learned the secret of success was just stop playing for yeah just stop hammering people with the but you just you, enough. You please. toured, and as if yeah, no, like I mean we just, entered. You planted a seed, and all of those fans popped up around the country. I, I, you know, that's a nice way to look at it. I guess in some sense you could look at it that way. I, yeah, I mean, it's just not that common. Yeah, no, I mean we, we it was certainly wasn't what we expected. So yeah. I mean, when Burma ended in '83, and um, the other guys continued in music, and I kind of went in a different direction and yeah you know from time to time you'd hear about somebody you know a name check or somebody famous saying saying our name or something right, right. or somebody doing a song and uh so you know we were sort of still in the conversation in some ways and uh so i kept waiting for the revisionist the official revisionist uh, proclamation to come out but uh it never did and so yeah so in a way it kind of um our reputation persisted and um that was good that was good uh the flip side of that is that when we um decided to play again in 2002 2001 we decided and um the gig was in early 2002 the stakes were all of a sudden like super huge and it was like you know booking these really giant halls and people seemed to be getting all excited and i just i i kept saying thinking 
don't get ahead of yourselves. <laughs> don't get too excited. And uh, we're just three guys on a stage. We don't really have any, there's no lights, there's no outfits, there's no between song banter. It's going to be pretty bare bones here, folks. So don't get too excited. But, um, you know, it worked out. It yeah, worked that's out. what People, excited him, I think. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, no, I was, I, was the more, I was the most trepidatious of uh, the three uh, of us. The other guys, I don't think they gave that much thought. Well, you know, all the, all the kids who were fans of yours are now of a certain age and now wants to go see those bands that they grew up listening to. So that's one thing. You know, there's another, there's another documentary when you guys are going to probably want to punch me in the face bring up documentaries all the time uh, you see that one a band called Death yeah so Detroit. it's a band they came out with one album maybe same kind, mm-hmm. same kind of story mm. and then disappeared and then someone found it found the album and they had this huge underground following these guys had no idea I think they were from story. Detroit right they had no huh. idea that they had such a huge huge following they got back together and now they're uh, this is what they do mm-hmm. well actually on that note what about the, the African guy oh yeah that's uh, wonderful Searching. Yeah. Searching for Strugerman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Love that story. Have you seen that? Look, when did you start hearing that you had influenced all these other bands? Was that kind of just kind I of just like a trickle? Kind of, like kind of was always happening? Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I was just vaguely aware that we were still part of the conversation, like I say. And did you ever ask them? No. No. Did they ever tell you without you asking? Well, they had to I tell somebody. I can't really like, remember. Like, why is well, that? Well, you know, because Moby redid one of your yeah. songs, and he's yeah, like, I can't she's really. In... Re- but I, you know, I, I just remember feeling out of it, and then when we played again, there was a lot of attention. Made me a little nervous. You didn't like it? Well, I mean, I just I was worried we were really going to disappoint people. And what? Did you, how do you think it went? I think it went pretty well. <laughs> it went pretty well. We we practiced our asses off to be. Decent. So, how's uh, how's your hearing? My hearing's okay. I'm, you know, I have tinnitus, uh, but I don't, um, I don't pay a lot of attention to it. It doesn't seem. I don't think it's getting worse. Oh, good, good. Uh, but it's a terrible thing. I mean, I see. But if some musicians not wearing earplugs, I'm like, you guys got to start wearing, wearing yeah. something. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I, hopefully, it will. You know, I, I've, I've been, I've been lucky with that too. I, I've had it since I was in college. So, oh really? Yeah, I choose not to pay any attention to it, and it doesn't seem to affect my hearing too bad huh. well that's good because i have it and just I... quick sidebar on college i'm from rochester and my mom oh, yeah? went there so i i spent many days down downtown and going to nick tahoe's oh and, yeah nick tahoe's. garbage plate fries yeah and, right uh, uh, going out great, to the house of guitars that's what yeah the house of, didn't you say you minored in the house of guitars yeah Isn't that right yeah i went there so you would love this place chuck it's, oh, it's, it's, it's a guitar it's a guitar shop uh it's just pianos yeah, no, that's, no, that's hilarious. Um, it's it is an iconic guitar shop in Rochester. It's like four different stories. Yeah, and, and it's this old house, giant record records, and Armin Schorbrack or whatever his name who ran yeah. it was a ex-con had an interesting story of his own. Put out some records. Yeah, yeah, Rochester. I, I had a good time up there. I was listening. Uh, that was right before I moved to Boston. I learned a lot in Rochester. I was de- deep into the music. That was before Boston. Mm-hmm. So you were in the college mid seventies, yeah. right? What was it about a band in Rochester or anything that do you, you remember? There was no, there triggered? was no particular music scene in Rochester. Right. I was playing in funk bands when I was in college, okay, which was a, a total gas as a bass player. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, you know, with horns and singers, and it was just a riot. That 
most that was just pure huh. joy music. Chuck Mangione wasn't sitting in with you. Well, or? no, but Chuck, <laughs> Chuck Mangione was hot shit then uh, in Rochester. He was he was the man. Yeah, but I was just I was I was binging on all sorts of underground music at that time. Yeah, like what? Oh, I mean, like uh, I don't mean to put you. On I the mean, spot. it was the very very beginnings of things. So I was doing a lot of mail order rec, uh, little forty fives. Uh, you know, this was before the internet, needless yeah. to say, and you know, reading fanzines and mailing off for records from things and uh, getting records, uh, underground records at uh, House of Guitars, like Perubu, like you know, those first singles of Perubu, and uh, I was going down to New York City and seeing uh, uh, some of the underground things happening there. Little Johnny Jewel, you know, Television's first single, and you saw Television when they were, when they were going. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I was down there very early. So the mid-70s, I used to, um, I grew up outside of New York, mostly in Connecticut, used to go into New York quite a lot. So I was in there for a lot of the glitter, the end of like glitter rock, you know, Roxy Music and uh, mm-hmm. New York Dolls and mm-hmm. kind of going to those clubs, which was a real street level, under the radar, ripping, awesome scene, you know, New York Dolls. That morphed into the punk scene around 75, 76, so... Yeah, so I mean, the first time I saw the Ramones was at CBGB. I saw them after seeing, just to give context, <laughs> Tony Williams' Lifetime at the, oh, what was the name of that club over by NYU? The big one, the bottom line. So Tony Williams' Lifetime, so this, you know, real prog uh, thing. And then I said to my friends, uh, there's supposed to be a band over in this little bar. It's supposed to be very interesting. I'd read a review <laughs> somewhere, and uh, they're like really stripped down. So my friends, my Prague friends said, yeah, we'll go. So went went over to CBGB. It was about one in the morning. There was only about, I thought we were in the wrong place because there were only a dozen people in the place. And I asked I asked the waitress, I said, um, is there a band here called the Ramones tonight? She said, honey, that was them. And it, I realized we just caught the tail end of a set. But <laughs> um, it was early on. It was early, early, early. So 75, 76 in there. So I was I was I was attuned to the underground scene, and uh, following that very intensely while I was up in Rochester, and really kind of feeling like, God, I gotta I gotta be a part of that scene. I gotta be a part of that scene. Once I'm out of college, I gotta be a part of that scene. Huh. So um, that's but when I moved. What to, a, why, I moved to Boston. Yeah. So why East and not? I mean, why Boston and not New York? Um, it was uh, it, um, personal relationships. I, I had a, one of my very closest music friends had a friend up here in Boston mm. starting a band. And uh, I'd always had positive impressions of Boston and the Boston music scene from somewhere, I don't know where. And I knew Willie Loco was up here. That was one of the underground singles that I had on mail order. So uh, Willie Loco Alexander. Yeah, I mean, he was like the progenitor of, of the whole thing. Yeah, so that's how, what brought me to Boston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just packed up the Toyota with my bass amp and moved up here. <laughs> You were in the, uh, was it the 79 Rock and Roll Rumble with the neighborhoods? Probably, probably, yeah, 79. And the, the maps, remember the maps? Oh, God, I know the maps, yeah. Well, you know, Judy, maps. she's married yeah. to David. Yeah, love the maps. He just became a grandpa, you know that? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> well, not just, actually, it's been over a year now. So, but <laughs> Wait, who are Judy and David? David Minahan. Oh, David oh, Minahan. Minahan, okay. And Judy was his wife in the maps. Like, we got to get the maps back together. Oh, the maps were brilliant. They were awesome. They were great. They had some amazing songs. Do you remember that? Yeah, they were definitely part of our of that scene I was talking about. The girls, human sexual response. Yeah, maps. human sexual response around that time too. Yeah. I love that name. Yeah. Was that a? I mean, David always talks about him getting the crap beat out of him when he was 
Uh, he, oh, in Harvard, I mean, uh, Kenmore at, Square? Yeah, Kenmore Square at the rag and <laughs> hit over the head with a bottle and you're having to go to the hospital. Do you remember those times being as dangerous as... as oh, there was a disco across the street, but I, I, I don't have any personal stories to tell. What was your main place to play? Or what was your um, main place I to mean, the out? Rat was one of them, but um, the place where we really came into our own and that was kind of our unofficial clubhouse was a place called The Underground, yeah. which was... Uh, a tiny little uh, shoebox-shaped subterranean little space that uh, just a total fire trap. <laughs> One exit, skinny staircase going up. I think it was a former um, laundromat for That's a BU. But anyhow, that was our place. So the uh, the underground is where we played and where we really started hitting our stride. And um, it had a very uh, enlightened booking policy. So all the British bands, when they came through, would play the underground. It didn't hold more than 85 or 90 people. I don't know, hardly any people at all, but The Cure and... The police came through there around that time too, The right? police played at The Rat their the first Rat. time through. Yeah. Um, I was at that one. But The Cure and New Order and I'm trying to remember other bands played underground. It was a very cool place. Yeah, it was very much, you know, the, it was such a small world. I mentioned that earlier, but it was a really small scene. I mean, there was no commercial... There was no commercial side to it really it was just a really passion scene you know it, when you left Burma did you have aspirations as a songwriter to do something different was uh, I thought what, I'd how, probably write music and uh, for, for consonant that was a, that well was a that was you know much later but um, yeah I continued writing music for uh, a couple of years after Burma then I just didn't have I just, just didn't know quite what to do with it or how to I gave one song to a, a band some friends of mine busted statues and mm. they did a nice job with it but um I I stopped, you know the writing just started stop it just kind of dwindled uh until it was uh non-existent and and then uh I didn't um pick up a guitar really for uh you know 15 plus years huh. and then around 2000 I can't remember 1999 or 2000 I started I picked up the guitar again. I had been asked by Peter Prescott to play, fill in for their bass player who was sick or something. They had a gig in New York, a really good gig. Uh, so I did that and um, came back from that gig. There's nothing particular. You know, I felt like a horse's ass on stage, like very awkward and like, what am I doing up here? This is a joke. So it was a very uncomfortable, uh, <laughs> you know, experience. But. Um, then I came home and I picked up my guitar and started playing and I like you know I started playing this song that I'd been fooling around with after Burma and it sounded good I said wow that does and so I uh, worked on that a little bit and pretty soon I was in this full full gonzo songwriting uh, it overwhelmed me really um, so for a couple of years there I, I was in this uh, the most productive I'd ever been in my life so uh, it's kind of out of the blue, and uh, I was writing songs. I was writing songs. I enlisted my friend Holly Anderson. She's a poet, and I, I wanted to use some of her uh, words for lyrics, and so I started, you know, uh, retooling her uh, poems into uh, lyrics for um, these musical ideas I had. It was really an extraordinary experience because, let's see, around 2000, I would have been 45 or something. It was clearly a midlife crisis of some sort, and. Um, but it was the most productive thing, and uh, it really, um, it was uh, really one of the most powerful experiences of my life. It, it was like 
at the beginning of Burma. But I was very excited to be in touch with this musical side of my person uh, again. And it was absolutely thrilling for me. And it was musical, right? It wasn't lyrical for you. Oh, yeah. It's always been musical. And so I, we dragged the lyrics along necessarily and try to plug in things that won't embarrass me. But I'm sorry about the Pence fly. That's killing yeah, me. That's, it's, yeah, it's, that's yeah. right. <laughs> Just call me Pence. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so out of that, then I, uh, you know, I, call, I contacted Chris Brokaw, who's a uh, friend, and uh, asked if he'd help me with some of these things and put together the band Consonant. I still feel like, um, in some ways, uh, those songs are uh, my best work. And out of Consonant, you know, all of a sudden the musical gene had been switched back on. I'm such a weirdo musician, you know. I it had been really super dormant for. Mm long time uh so here it was active again and then the idea of burma playing came up again and um i thought okay yeah maybe then burma started so i had two bands it was a little bit too much full-time job two young kids yeah. two two bands that are kind of touring all at once yeah. yeah it was it was a strain on the family and uh, I kept saying, uh, it's, gonna, it's not going to be like this forever. This, this is just a temporary thing. It's just kind of crazy right now, which, in fact, uh, is the way it turned out. So, and when Burma started playing, God, that was so easy. I didn't have to sing every, last, every damn last song and be up there in front of everybody. I could let Roger and Peter take some of the <laughs> weight. Well, for Consonant, you were a front man with a bass player yeah, singing. I was, I was yeah. uh, front man and guitar. So, oh, guitar. Um, it was a wonderful experience. I'm, I'm, I'm very, uh, very proud of the music that we made in Consonant. So, but you know, it was just, it wasn't sustainable. The different band members had different obligations, and plus, I just really didn't like being the guy. Yeah. I kept trying to enlist the other musicians to contribute. Oh, this is your thing, man. Was it the live part of it? Or yeah, I wasn't. I yeah, I guess so. Um, Less so in the studio, that bothered you. You so know much? what? I just think um, the model of Mission of Burma, where they're different writers, uh, it's sort of an ideal. It's the kind of thing that most band that doesn't happen very often. That there's multiple writers, multiple singers. Nobody's the leader. That's my ideal. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's much just more. Uh, it's more amenable to my character hearing you say that about music is is i mean your story is obviously very unique but i think the feeling of sort of turning on and off that gene or that area of your brain that just is like you're in or you're out i mean i don't think that's very common for serious musicians and i consider myself a serious musician i mean when i'm in watch out i'm in i'm in all the way i mean it is uh it was so transformative what happened uh in the early 2000s when all of a sudden that gene came back on I was out in the garage working on the guitar like a madman, like a <laughs> madman, like a little weird, like my wife was a little, like, who is this guy? Really? <laughs> yeah, I lost like 20 pounds, and it was almost a mania, huh. really, yeah. quite literally, uh, quite seriously. I admire musicians that are disciplined, that do it every day, and do it every day no matter what is coming out. They're disciplined in the ways that you hear writers talk about writing. You sit at the, you know, and you write. Yeah. You don't wait to be inspired. You write. Yeah. And yeah, it's your job. out of the work comes good stuff. I admire that. I admire that kind of discipline and work ethic. And I am utterly without it when it comes to music. It's like, if it's raining, I'm going to catch it. So it's on or off for me. And uh, I sometimes liken it to a, um, 
one of those um, plagues that locusts locusts come around every 17 years or something. Oh. That's like my musical thing. Oh, like those uh, cicadas. Yeah, cicadas. Like it's dry, and then all of a sudden it's just raining cicadas. And so, Rainy Cicadas could be the next band. Yeah, I know it could be. Uh, so that would put it at. <laughs> well, there's a I might be due. Years. I might be due. Well, there's a seventeen-year cicada. We're about seventeen-year. Yeah. We're about there's there. There's a seven-year cicada. There's a bunch. There's yeah. there's different cicadas. I'm a like seventeen. We're a seventeen-year cicada. Yeah, which means <laughs> I might be due for another uh, another right. mania. Do you think producing in your baseline day job fits that itch at all? Oh, I think so. I think in a certain distant way. You know, it's composition of a sort. You know, it's sort of assembling different parts to the greatest effect, that sort of thing. You know, it's putting something together. Uh, you know, it's in a very m- much more commercial, you know, it's not the same kind of an inspiration, you know. But there's uh, an art to it. Yeah, it's yeah. not the clouds parting. And, yeah. You produced uh, y- Yola Tango, right? I did. I did. I tried that. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, that, that was... Uh, uh, that was fun. Those guys, you know, those people are just the sweetest people in the world. And it was, uh, I'm, I'm honored that I was there when they, when they were little baby Yola Tango. Now that they're mighty <laughs> big indie giant long time, Yola yeah. Tango. Do, do, does that, does that appeal to you at all? Not, to do not that particularly. Kind of no, I don't like telling people what to do. No. Yeah. And plus, I don't have any, I don't have any technical know-how. Uh, you know, there's people that know their way around a studio and can really be of use. I, I just felt like I was a bump on the log. You know? What about now? You Are you playing right now? Are you, do, are you writing? You're not, not doing anything right now, huh? No writing. The guitar is away. Uh, the guitar hasn't seen the light of day for a bunch of years. Really? Seven. Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, the bass, yeah, I, I'm not the kind of person who sits around and plays a bass. I, if I was going to pick up anything, it would be a guitar. Yeah. So... The band last played, I think, four years ago. You get requests for people from people. Well, I mean, not right now, apparently. Um, maybe, I mean, yeah. Do you mean try- permission of Burma to play? Yeah. Do they ask you to come and play? Do they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. People ask you to inquire. Tour? You know, are they available? Or would they be interested? Yeah. But no. There's no great outcries. But they got plenty of mission of Burma. Yeah. We <laughs> we had our moment. Let the kids have. You got to get fun the new now. generation of kids in on us. Make make room for you carried for some out your other mission. Yeah, we, we 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 got more than our fair share. We're 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 good. So if not music, do you have another project? Do you have something else you're interested in not doing? Really? Right now? No, Nothing? I um I'm just uh, I have uh, I have very full uh, a very full. You seem like a very, very happy full life. guy. I enjoy my work quite yeah. a bit, and I I've, well the grandkids don't. Uh, yeah, don't I love hurt, my right? family. I just uh, that's a big that's the big thing, you know. So I just have a very rich and happy life so you know part of the you know i want sometimes i wonder is that why i'm not writing music because i'm not miserable anymore i'm not addicted to things anymore <laughs> well, well you know i don't mean uh, to bash anybody but it's it's you know i have met some it. musicians who you know they just seem to have a sadness about you know and a wistfulness about what could have happened and what they're missing and you know and i i was i always feel terrible about it but i love your outlook about this you know it's just it's just accepting what is and what you have was fantastic and is fantastic and you have yeah i mean part of that has to do with what kind of band we were were we kind of band that we're looking for a, a big contract yeah. and a career yeah. and stadiums no that wasn't our, what we were our, for. our ambitions if you could call them that were pretty modest pretty realistic i think from the beginning i mean from the very beginning we knew we weren't dishing out what people really wanted to hear well, so you thought, anyway. Well, I mean, it didn't matter to us. It made us happy. 
That's a good. You know, it made our like little that. group of pe- friends happy and other people in bands that we liked happy, and uh, that was good enough for us. You know, we were getting weekend gigs. If you love music, if you're passionate about music, and, yeah. and then you're able to make music and have people, even a few, respond positively, that's that's the lucky one. Yeah, totally. We would like to thank Clint for taking the time to sit with us. You can purchase Mission of Burma and Consonant Music wherever fine music is sold. And also go to missionofburma.com. Go to abovethebasement.com where you can sign up for our newsletter, listen and subscribe to our podcast, like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, look at all the nice pictures we post on Instagram. We are everywhere. From all of us at Above the Basement, thank you for listening. Tell your friends, wear a mask for God's sakes, and remember... Boston music, like its history, is unique.